Thank you for tuning in to Aggie Catholic Talks. This talk is a recording from Magnify on June 8th, 2022. Our guest speaker, Mark Knox, the director of campus ministry here at St. Mary's, gave a talk entitled Making Ordinary Time Extraordinary. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date with other talks, including future talks from Magnify. Thanks, God bless, and gigum. Well, howdy. Welcome to Magnify. It's so great that you are here. It's fun to be here and not just uh, doing introductions up there tonight. Thanks for that introduction, Kevin. When he said uh, that I have eight cows, I actually have the number eight. I don't just eat cows. Um, I thought there might be some confusion there. So. <laughs> Mark and his family and eight cows, right? Yeah, we eight cows. Okay. Well, glad you're here. Um, tonight, going to go a little bit into extraordinary time which is actually ordinary time, and kind of what that, what that entails. What does that look like? So we're transferring from this time of Lent, then Easter, and now we're moving into ordinary time. We're going to be here for the next five months, y'all, so buckle up and get ready for some incredible stories that we're going to hear, and then we're going to enter back into more extraordinary time when we hit what season? Advent. That's right. So that's kind of the, the cycle that we're going in here. And I love this dichotomy between the extraordinary and the ordinary. You know, as we go into these extraordinary seasons and then into ordinary seasons, back into extraordinary, like it's this great thing that kind of brings us full circle into different interwoven places in our church, right? We see a lot of extraordinary and and ordinary in our church. Uh, We can see it in the liturgy. You know, we have the ordinary form and we have the extraordinary form. We have saints that, that tell just extraordinary stories and also ordinary stories. We have our church and our decor and everything else. Like this church, very beautiful, very amazing, but it's also a little bit ordinary, right? There's nothing extravagant. It's very simple. It's very humble, but we love our church. And next door, we're building a church that I would say is quite extraordinary, right? So this beauty of the way that the church uses the ordinary and the extraordinary is quite relevant. I want to go a little bit into the lives of the saints because I think this is a really great teaching place here. When we look at the lives of the saints, a lot of times we get really caught up in the amazingness of the saints, right? Because they, they are amazing. We, we look at Mary, we look at St. Francis of Assisi and many of the others, right? And we, we almost um, put them on this pedestal, right? because they're, they're like super holy, they're super amazing, but we tend to look at the extraordinary of their lives, right? We look at the stigmatas and the places where they like bilocated, we look at all the extraordinary things and we're like, whoa, that's amazing, that's what I wanna be like. I wanna be that saint that, that gets the stigmatas or that can bilocate or that levitates, like that's amazing, right? We look at these and they, they draw us in to the people of the church that came before us. We also see their grandness of their faith, too, right? We see their grandness of their faith, their bold proclamation of the gospel, the way that they loved each other, uh, the, the way that they we can connect with them and their story and how that connects with us and our story. Like, there's this amazingness there. But I would probably bet that if they were to come back today, they would question... Why, why am I on these statues? Why am I in the stained glass window? They will probably question this because in the life of their story, 
they lived in the ordinary. They lived in the ordinary. Yes, they did some extraordinary things, but to them, the extraordinary was quite ordinary, right? They lived in a way of humility, with their whole focus being in their desire to know the Lord, to love the Lord, and to love their neighbor. That was their focus. St. Francis of Assisi, any Catholic and most non-Catholics know who St. Francis of Assisi is, right? I got a statue in my front yard of St. Francis of, Francis of Assisi, and like, there's this great hero- heroism of St. Francis. But he didn't go at his mission to be a hero. He just said yes and moved forward. He didn't try to start a religious order of the Franciscans. He just wanted to live in poverty. He didn't try to do anything grand. He just wanted to love the Lord in the ordinary, in the simple, humble ways. Another great example of this is St. Faustina. Now, St. Faustina, when she was seven, she began to like experience these conversations with the Lord. They were quite profound to her. But it was quite also very ordinary for her. She wanted to go and join the convent at the age of seven. Her parents were like, no. (laughs) She continued her ordinary life as a child. Um, She was housekeeping for her family so that she could raise some money. When she finally turned like 19, she was at a dance with her sister. And she had this, this image of Jesus that just spoke to her. And she immediately left the dance. She went to a cathedral, went and prayed, and the Lord spoke and said, go join the convent. So she did. She traveled over to Warsaw, and she went knocking on all the convent doors. And you know what they said? Uh, no. They looked at her dress, the way she was put herself together. She was probably a little scrawny and... Not much to look at. You know, she didn't have fancy clothes. She didn't have this grand uh, persona. She was just ordinary. And door to door, no, 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 no. I forget the number, but it's this crazy amount of numbers that she, um, doors that she knocked on and comments she stopped in that said no. She finally heard back from the sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, and they only agreed to take her she could figure out how to pay for her own habit. And so she began to work at, at the convent, doing uh, cooking and cleaning and that sort of thing, very ordinary things, right? And in her time, she finally got her habit. She finally got to become a sister. And at the age, or before the age of 33, she had these, continued to have these great visions of Jesus. And this is where our divine mercy image comes from. And so at the age of 33, she passed. And not too long after that, they were interviewing her sisters and just asking about like her life. And, and most of them said, they used the, the words, she's nothing special. She was nothing special. Because she was so ordinary. But she lived ordinary, so extraordinary. There are many saints that are like this. Therese of Lisieux, who loved the ordinary. She loved sweeping. She loved mopping. She loved taking out the trash. She lived for the little ways of loving, loving others. Blessed Pierre Giorgio Fursati, in his ordinariness, he loved the poor like he loved his best friends because they were his friends. 
Like a lot of times I think we struggle with that, the poor are here and we're going to go and serve them or we're going to go to them and do, but like, no, he was, they were his friends and his family had no idea what he was doing in the afternoons when he was just having lunch with his friends on the street, when he was giving away his shoes and all of a sudden his parents were mad at him because he didn't have any shoes. We just bought you those last week. Or his jacket, his brand new jacket that his, his parents had quite a bit of money and they'd be buying fancy things and all of a sudden it disappeared. And like, where'd it go? I don't know. I must have left it somewhere. He was so ordinary in his love for every person. And at his funeral, there were thousands of people and his parents were in shock. They probably expected a few hundred, but there were thousands of people there because he had loved so many people in such ordinary, beautiful ways. Teresa of Avila, Teresa of Avila lived such an ordinary life, kind of as a rebel. She was like a rebel sister, sneaking out at night and, and uh, doing her own things. And, and uh, she struggled in the convent. She really did for the first half of her time in the convent. And she would talk about in her, in her autobiography how she, like, could, she struggled to pray. She really just didn't get it. She went through the motions for so many years, but... She finally, when she finally got it and she finally learned how to pray and got that connection, that became all that she wanted to do. She kind of escaped from the world and she entered into just an ordinary, hidden life of prayer. Now here's the deal. Is sometimes, sometimes, in, particularly in our early walk of faith, when we're still really just kind of learning this stuff, we begin to put a lot of stock in the extraordinary, right? The big moments. When we think about our conversion, if we ever tell our conversion story, we think about like the big highlight moments, the things that you post on Instagram, right? The, the big moments. You don't want to post, you know, you sleeping at night. You don't want to post you brushing your teeth or you doing whatever. Like those are boring. You want to post your, your trips and you want to post your uh, vacations and your celebrations, in the early walk of our faith, we tend to look at our life at the extraordinary. What do we post? What are the big moments? That retreat we went on, right? That mission trip that changed our life. Uh, these highlight reels of our faith is kind of what we tend to hang on to and we go back to. And I don't know about you, but all the retreats that I went on in high school and college, and I really struggle with that whole idea of, of the... Um, the retreat low, right? You go on a retreat, you encounter Christ, you're on this high, and then like after the retreat, you don't know how to live faith in the ordinary, and so you just, bleh. and it's like, what is this? Where did God go? And there's all these questions arise. Was that manufactured? Was that manipulated? Was that real? Was that actually God, or was that, how do I get that again? So we chase after it. In the extraordinary, we chase after it. Those things, those experiences, the mission trips, the retreats, they're all good, all right? Ordinary time, the wedding feast to Cana, the miraculous catch, the calming of sea, uh, feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, Jesus healing the blind, raising of Lazarus. Like, these are all ordinary time things, but they're quite extraordinary. They're quite extraordinary. And all these extraordinary things are good. 
They're all very, very good. But if we were to bring back Peter, James, and John, who knew Jesus the best, I would bet that if we had a conversation with them and asked them, what did you enjoy or love most about your time with Jesus? I would bet that they would talk about their early morning around the campfire, having a good old cup of joe. Actually, coffee came about a thousand years later. But you can imagine sitting around the campfire, hanging out with Jesus, having some good conversation, just about life. Like, no parables, no miracles, just, hey, how's your day? What are you looking forward to today? The intentional conversations that he had on that very casual walk to Jericho or to Jerusalem. You know, the, the, just the everyday moments. They probably loved those the most. That would be my guess. And in these moments, Jesus saw them. He knew them and he loved them in that personal way. And that is probably what was so attractive. All the big, extraordinary things are great, right? Peter out there chasing after Jesus, walking on water, sinking, Jesus saved him. Like, that was extraordinary. That was great. But there is also something beautiful in the simple relationship that they shared. The question today is how do we, in today, how do we bring Jesus into our ordinary. The first question I would have in this is, is, and you have to figure this out first before you can move forward, but is Jesus a part of your life or is he the center of your life? That's a big question. Is Jesus a part of our life where he kind of sits on the side and we invite him in or he comes in and, and we're kind of like, he sees all these things that we're doing and he knows all these things, but some things we just kind of don't want him to know about, right? And, if he just stays over there and only comes in when we allow him to, we're safe, right? How do we invite Jesus then? If that's, if that's where we're, we are, that's great. At least Jesus is a part of your life. But you know what? It could be better when we invite Jesus into the center of our life. And sometimes that's hard because that means he's coming into the center. He's seeing and we're allowing him to be a part of everything. Our sin, our shame, our guilt, the things we're disappointed in, the things that we do that we don't want anybody to see. He sees our wounds. He sees our pain, our suffering. And he also sees us perfectly and loves us in those ways too. But a lot of times we're hurt. Like we don't want Jesus to see that. So we like keep him at a distance. But that's part of that's part of our walk is bringing Jesus into the center is that act of surrender and trust, allowing him to be there. And then everything else has to revolve around that relationship. Every decision that we make is in and through Jesus. Every hope that we have is in and through Jesus. Every joy that we have is in and through Jesus. Like everything is operating in this mindset of in and through Jesus. So we have to form a routine uh, in having this relationship, right? Relationship is, is around routine. I can't be friends with someone if I never spend time with them. We gotta make time for each other, right? Our, our staff, we put together seven characteristics of an apostle. 
And these seven characteristics are really kind of the, the high point in how we hope to form all of our students here at St. Mary's. I'm going to go over those real quickly and share how those can be played into our ordinary. So these seven characteristics are this. First, we have to hear the call of Jesus. Second, pursue him. We have to pursue Jesus. Third, live authentic friendship. Fourth is persevere in virtue. Fifth, embrace church teaching. Sixth, serve the poor. And number seven is to proclaim the gospel. You're going to get all, you're going to get little cars like this as you exit the church to help you remember these things. And I'm going to go over them just briefly here so you can get the context. If you notice, this is also the walk of the apostles, right? First, they heard the call of Jesus. They invited him in. Then they pursued that relationship. They began living in community and authentic friendship. They began to persevere in virtue. They began to embrace church teaching, which was really hard. They served the poor. They healed the sick. All these amazing things. Then they learned to proclaim the gospel, right? So here's the deal. is we, If we want to make our everyday, our ordinary life extraordinary, we have to reflect on these seven themes daily. Every day we need to sit down and say, where am I at on my journey today? And keep these things in the forefront because if we don't, they're going to slip out and we're just going to forget about certain pieces and we're going to stop doing things. But if we at least have it in our heart and mind, we can keep going over it. So first, uh, we can't just go through the motions, but we have to learn to listen to the Lord. Okay, right? Hear the call of Jesus. We have to learn to listen to the Lord, hear his voice, and know what he's inviting us into. We have to show up daily even when it's hard, when we don't feel like it. We have to notice, the second one, we have to notice when you don't feel like it and strive for something more. We have to pursue Jesus intently. Third, we have to pray for authentic friends. A lot of us, man, we, we don't... We have some friends that we enjoy spending time with, but are they like our authentic friends? Do they really love us well? And then on the flip side, do we, are we praying for ourselves to be able to love others well, to be an authentic friend to others? Number four, do we strive for virtue and not fall into the trap of shame and and guilt and lies that try to hold us back? But are we striving for virtue even when we fall? And vice versa, are we helping others to strive for virtue? Now, that doesn't mean like calling everybody out that we see, like pointing out their sin, but no, it's loving them well so that we call them to something better. How do we call others better? Number five, how do we grow in our understanding with what the church teaches? If you struggle with the church teaching, good for you. Struggle with that teaching. What I mean by struggle is don't passively ignore it and be like, eh, I'm just not going to do that one. Or don't passively accept it of like, eh, the church says this, I'll just do it. I don't understand why. No, struggle with the church teaching. Struggle with it. Ask questions. Find the answers. Talk to people about it. Get what you need because I can promise you that the church teaching is good and it's rooted in virtue. It's rooted in, in good things, but sometimes it's hidden by other the cloudiness of the world. I'll just put it that way. Serve the poor. Serving the poor is hard, y'all. 
Just the other day, I was over by Witch Witch getting my daily tea, and a guy stops me as I'm walking out, and, you know, like, I could tell he was probably homeless, and he asked me if I would um, get him a drink. And I did, took the easy way, way out, and I said, oh, you know what, I got my, uh, my Witch Witch gift card, because my card there doesn't work, so I get a gift card. That way they can slide it, and it works real easy. So I just pulled out my card, my gift card, and I just gave it to him and said, hey, have a great day. That was good. That was nice, right? That was nice of me to do that. Uh, But the reality is what I was actually being called to do is to sit down with him and ask him his name, hear his story, and just care for him in that moment. And afterwards, in my daily reflection, I'm like, man, I missed an opportunity, right? Um, Serving the poor is hard. But we're not just talking about serving the poor like in Honduras or in some other mission. No, like there's there, the poor is down the street. The poor is your neighbor. The poor are all the, the students on campus that, that are atheists. The poor are surrounding us. And we have to learn to love them. And last, grow in our confidence to invite others into all the good things that we have here at St. Mary's and in the church in our relationship with Jesus. We have to proclaim that gospel. And grow in confidence in that. So to kind of tie all this thing up, we've got to, we've got to carve out time daily. Daily. And that's hard to do. I remember in my early, in, in my early days of trying to figure out, thinking 20 minutes a day was kind of a big deal. And if you've got five minutes, that's good. Five minutes is good. If you're at five minutes and that's good and you can do more, do 10 minutes, but build up to where you're carving time daily to do a reflection on where you're at in your walk as an apostle. I'm going to leave you with, oh, um, there's these little way of life. If you want more stuff, there's like this thing is built out into a whole like study guide. So if you're interested in that, send me an email and I'll send it to you for your own personal reflection My email can be found on the website if you have a great memory, mnox at aggiecatholic.org, but you can find me on the St. Mary's website. I'm going to leave you with this. If you haven't seen The Chosen, watch it. Love The Chosen. There's this great scene uh, in, in one of the first episodes where Mary Magdalene has been radically healed by Jesus, and she doesn't even know, like, who the guy was. She just knows that she met a guy, and he did amazing things, and she says this. There was a, first there was a Pharisee who was like, what happened to you? Like, you're different. I saw you before. Now you're, what, what happened? And she says this. She says, all I can tell you is I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. I'm confident, absolutely confident, that if you live your ordinary life with the same conviction that you live the extraordinary, then the extraordinary will become your ordinary.